Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of the st Stuttering Springboard. On this episode, we have Kristen Camilla, who is a speech pathologist who spends the majority of her time working with ind individuals of all ages with fluency and disorders at the Camilla Communication Center in, 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 in the suburban Chicago area. In this, in this episode, Brian interviews Kristen and, and, and digs deep into how she is she has in, incorporated a, a mindfulness into her centering therapy practice. This refreshing approach to therapy peels back how awareness of our thoughts, emotions, and physical body sensation, as well as how conscious breathing and transitional breathing techniques play a significant role in mindfulness. Enjoy the episode. Thank you, Jack. Welcome to the Stuttering Springboard. My name is Brian Nolan. The Stuttering Springboard is a podcast put on by the Nolan Stuttering Foundation. We focus on helping young people spring to the next level in their life. Um, that often seems daunting. And we help to educate the population on really what it means to be a person who stutters and what it is and what it's not. <clears throat> what I've learned um, as a person who has stuttered my entire life is that stuttering is a neurological disorder. So therefore, has a lot to do with the mind. Um, I've become extremely interested in how the mindfulness movement can play a role in stuttering therapy. I was really excited when Joe Donaher uh, introduced me to Kristen Camella um, because she is leading the movement in how mindfulness plays a role in therapy. Um, <clears throat> in our preview call last week or two weeks ago, we were two of us just got like, I, I was so glad to meet her to have someone to share these thoughts with and learn about. Uh, so I'm so pleased to welcome Kristen. She's a speech, speech pathologist who spends the majority over time working with individuals of all ages with affluency disorders. At the Camella Communication Center in suburban Chicago. She has lectured on the topic of childhood stuttering around the world. She's co-founder and, and co-director of Camp Shoutout, which we're going to get into, mm -hmm. uh, a therapeutic program for school-aged children who stutter and hands-on training opportunity for professionals and graduate students. There's a lot that she's done with the American Board of Fluency and Fluency Disorders, supervising graduate students around the globe. Um, she is a certified yoga instructor and mindfulness teacher <clears throat> and believes all can, can choose to continue involving as communicators, having over 200 hours in yoga and mindfulness training. So this is... Uh, a podcast I wanted to do for over a year, and I found someone to do it with. Hmm. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you so much. It's <clears throat> great to be here. Uh, <clears throat> can you tell us a little, a little bit about your journey as a person who stutters? Oh, I, I didn't say that. And a person who stutters. Can sure. you tell us about like a little bit? I know that could be the whole podcast probably because all of our journeys are extensive, mm -hmm. but but I, I think it's good good sort of context setting here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sure, and why don't I separate the journey into three different parts? So the first part, as a child, I could describe that journey as being a very sensitive, aware child although with lots of different struggles and very aware of the reactions of people's expressions 
to that the moment of stuttering that I would have. So I would say by about first grade, I was starting to figure out that stuttering was something you didn't want to do. And I'm just saying this as a child's perception. And so therefore I would talk only when I thought I could say the words. Right. So I grew up at that time as a young child with a lot of anxiety and a lot of worry about going to school, being in school, a lot of bullying and teasing around the stuttering and probably some other things. By the time I got to middle school, I remember in seventh grade saying out loud to a girl in the hallway at the junior high, I, oh, she asked me, do you stutter? And I remember just being alarmed that someone would say that out loud. How'd you find out? I haven't been talking much. <laughs> right. And and yet I would have these little spurts of of comfort and in a certain class and then begin reading out loud, but then I would back away. So by high school, I was in the trenches of hiding stuttering. Although having my mother advocate and talk with teachers about my stuttering, I always was prepared to do the presentation. However, usually did it alone for a teacher or walked out of class if I was put on the spot. So, and you may notice I'm not using the word covert. And the reason I'm not is because I don't believe in labels. Uh, to me, covert, a covert stutterer is a label of behavior. And while there were instances where I was shut down and quiet, there were other instances where I wasn't. And I think that it's so important that we talk about people by describing behavior mm. instead of labeling in a category. Mm. So I went to college to major in dance. That was sort of the first part. Second part is I went to college to major in dance. I hurt my ankle. I had surgery and I had to quit. Oh. And I came home saying, what am I going to do? I remember saying I was like a little mouse in a corner with nowhere to go because everything was going to involve speaking. So my mother took me to see Dr. Hugo Gregory at Northwestern University. Mm -hmm. I remember sitting in that, the office that overlooked Lake Michigan, <clears throat> and I shared my story. And he said, well, I think my wife and I can help you. And that's how I met Dr. and Mrs. Gregory, who became mm -hmm. my speech therapist, my, my colleagues, my friends, my second parents, um, up until they they passed away. So so here you are uh, thinking that you found a career that didn't involve speaking, and then you all of a sudden couldn't <laughs> dance. Where that was that was probably a dark time in, in your life. That was a and very dark time, and I remember I kept going forward. So I started this speech therapy which the Gregory's always believed in the two sides of the coin, working on your speech, but also your attitudes and feelings. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to voluntarily stutter. I never did that. However, they helped me tremendously understand how to be a differential thinker because Hugo Gregory, his legacy is one of them is understanding the big picture and at that time, I only understood a little bit of my picture of who I was as, you know, who my brain really was. So um, I was in a, a English class. I stayed home for a semester and I had to give a presentation. Mrs. Gregory was there. It was an emotional experience. It was one of those mountains and, you know, I got married. I had kids. I had this wonderful looking life. I was a speech therapist helping people who stutter. And all of a sudden, I, I, this is the third phase of this. Well, this is really the second. So the first goes through my probably till 30. 
I had to come to terms with the fact I was avoiding stuttering. And I really faced, I recognized the shame I felt. I never even thought about that prior to that time. And I put myself in situations to work through it. And it was really hard and really scary. And I had a lot of support from some special therapists. And I was beginning to be a person who stuttered then. And I remember my first ASHA presentation, I decided not to work on my communication skills and just to talk. And I stuttered my way through the whole thing. And I sat down and I said, okay, I'm still alive. And I still made a contribution. Wow. And that was the beginning of working through some really tough buried stuff. And the, the, that was the second phase of this. And the third phase of this was going within. And I had done a lot of counseling and work in that area. And I also was a speech therapist specializing in stuttering. So I was learning through the children that I was with every day, not projecting my own experience, however, observing and learning. Um, and then I began my journey into mindfulness and into the world of yoga. I had, I had tinkered in it a little bit when I was younger. I thought it was a little woo-woo and, <laughs> and then circled back around <clears throat> and began a serious uh, journey of internal recovery, internal mm. recovery. And so, so when you first heard yourself stutter, because you you didn't talk a lot because you didn't want to stutter. And then you started to hear yourself stutter. What what happened to that shame? Because I, I think, I mean, it's no, it's no mystery that I'm, I'm still dealing with trying to not stutter. I try everything I do to not stutter. I'm really good it's at switching words. Honest. Yeah, it's really honest. And it's it, it, very it, honest. And maybe, and maybe it's like, it's the step along the way like even i at the introduction here i stuttered on some words and i find myself going like oh you, you know what i mean but that that is an instinct that's a neurological neuropathway instinct that i'm like oh that is a fault that i stuttered right but i'm working through this yes. Kristen. what you just said is a thought right. about your stutter exactly what you just said is a perception about it. Yeah. What What is Kristen going to think of me that I stuttered on that word? Would you like to know what I was thinking? I, yeah, I would. I would. I was thinking, I am so glad he's stuttering. Because <laughs> I because I know how to not stutter uh, pretty well. But if I'm uh, if I'm honest and authentic, I'm going to stutter. But I could have easily switched a word yeah. and not stuttered. And I was so glad that you stuttered. And remember, <laughs> Barry Guitar always said this. He said, you have to be free to stutter in order to be free to be fluent. Right. Now, I have to say that I'm a believer that every person has their own story and has a right to it. Mm. So at this point in my journey, I am talking. I'm communicating. Yeah. Now, I definitely could still stutter. I definitely have issues still with regulation and all those other contributing factors that have come along with my stutter. However, my awareness of them and my, my chosen vulnerability around them and the work that I have done, <clears throat> excuse me, has allowed me to move forward and communicate. Mm, I was at a conference once and there was a speaker and someone told, this is years ago, and someone told the speaker, stutter when you give your presentation, you need to stutter. <clears throat> and this person came to me and I said, and he asked me what I thought. And I said, why don't you just talk? Mm. And that is that <clears throat> perhaps a beginning of a perception of this isn't about fluency or the stutter. This is about 
communicating to connect with people and that we all have our journey of how we're doing that yeah and to be aware of what you just experienced yeah awareness leads to acceptance yeah it's the tunnel to get there what so what what i have learned about about stuttering um is my mind is such a vehicle here how i think about it how i think about the event that's going to happen um being able to stay in the moment as opposed to thinking about a word i'm gonna kind of stutter on i want to take a step back and for the for the people listening i'm going to ask you to define mindfulness mm. mindfulness is a pretty big big used term these days in a lot of areas and uh i want to then talk about obviously how mindfulness applies to what could help a person who stutters so define the basic concept first mindfulness if, if you can sure so i'm going to define it here as i learned about it many people define it in different ways You can talk about being mindful about something. You can talk about doing a mindful activity. And then you can talk about mindfulness as a meditative practice. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to talk about it as a meditative practice. So mindfulness is an opportunity to draw your attention to something and drift away from that and return your attention back to it with non-judgment. That's the hard part. Yes, it is. Mindfulness is a way of training the brain to notice thoughts and to notice emotions and to notice physical body sensations. And once you begin noticing those, mindfulness can train the brain to notice what you're noticing. Wow, Mm. I was thinking, and that's what I was thinking about. (laughs) And it also allows you the opportunity over regular daily practice to notice how those thoughts can come and go. Mm. Because when you notice your thinking and then you draw your attention back to your point of focus, most of the time it's the breath. One of my teachers, Christopher Willard, who I trained with has taught me, it doesn't have to be the breath. Yeah. You notice that your attention's going back to your focal point you start realizing that these are things that are happening. No thought stays forever and neither does any emotion. So so this is also when you sleep and and you wake up in the middle of the night. And I I was actually practicing this this week after listening to your four R's, which we'll get to. Uh, um, They they are um, rest, recognize, return, repeat. Rest your that's Christopher attention. Willard. Yeah, that's Christopher that is. Okay. Willard. Mm-hmm. So I, I have a vision of, of myself in a uh, kayak at, at my lake house, and it's in a, it's in a smooth water, and it, that's my anchor. You talk about an anchor sure. here. So I, I come back to that. That um, visualization. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And, and that sort of comes, and then I've been doing some breathing, which we'll get into. I want to I wanna take the mindfulness um concept which i love how you you described the the mind watching what the mind is thinking and what i practice is uh, almost looking down from above at what experience is happening and so i think of i think of um the young person who stutters and a lot of experiences i had in um, leading up to a an important speaking event now that could be anything an important speaking event for a person could be ordering a caramel frappuccino and That's right right and they're and they're next in line right and they're thinking to themselves caramel frappuccino caramel frappuccino 
I can say that. And now you're up, up there looking at yourself, feeling anxious and sweating. And so all the thoughts that a stutterer has um, help, help me apply mindfulness here. When you okay. take a young person, this is, this is the moment of truth. The moment of truth is coming here. <laughs> Wish I had it. <laughs> I, um, I have to say that, and I appreciated your, your introduction that I was leading the mindfulness in our field. I don't think that's exactly true. However, I do, I practice mindfulness. I've done training in it. I feel very comfortable bringing it into the therapeutic process. We don't know much yet about how mindfulness impacts children who stutter. There is research about how it impacts children with ADHD, with anxiety, with mm. uh, learning issues at school. There's a lot of research. There's been so much that's come out with what it does to the the well-being of a person. But I'm going to take you to that moment because one of the pieces of mindfulness, and you shared that we might talk about the triangle, which again, mm -hmm. is nothing I made up. I was taught that mindfulness strengthens awareness, physical body sensations, thoughts, and emotions. Mm -hmm. So when I'm working with a child, let's say a teenager, and we're talking about that situation of going and ordering that cappuccino, right? Or that coffee. And they're standing in line. When we practice mindfulness on a regular basis, 10 minutes a day, we begin talking about what are the thoughts that you have prior to ordering that. And now how can you get out of your mind and into your body? Ah, I love how it. How can you ground, <laughs> right? How can you stay as close to what is called the parasympathetic nervous system, that place, right? On that, we sometimes it's called a ladder in neurobiology. How can you stay at the top? or as close to the top as you can, your mind may be telling you something. If you go to the awareness of your breath and you begin some deep conscious breathing and count maybe one, two, three, one, two, three, four, five. So the inhale is shorter than the exhale. While your mind now is focused on the breath, you may still be feeling anxious. When you get up there, though, you're going to be able to be more present. Present awareness as a communicator is the whole point. And sometimes you might stutter and lots of times you may not. I can share this. I was at a new doctor. This was at the beginning of the third phase of my journey. And I felt that anxiety having to explain everything, you know, when you go to a new doctor to do a lot of talking, I remember sitting in that room and waiting. And I suddenly said to myself, Kristen, breathe. And I just started this very easy transition breathing. A transition breath is always extending the exhale, which calms the nervous system very quickly. And I just said, Kristen, breathe. And I focused on that. And as soon as that doctor walked in, I just talked. I just talked. And I had several moments like that where I was surprised what was happening to my nervous system, even though in my mind, I was thinking something very different. Our mind and our body and our breath are all connected. The breath is the channel. The breath is the channel that moves the body. Contrast that with um, uh, the, the maybe un, unhealthy feeling or thought that you get when you're stuttering and someone says, take your time and just breathe, breathe slower. Yeah. And that, yeah, and that no, feels no, and that yeah. and that feels like not 
you hear that and you feel like someone's trying to teach you how to talk and whatever. Yeah. What's your, what's you know your what advice there? Do you know what I usually say? When I talk about breathing, I'm not talking about talking. Unless, unless maybe a child or maybe I'm running out of breath when I'm talking. I used to do that. It was one of my coping mechanisms to cover up stuttering was to keep talking when there was like no more air. Right. <laughs> and my diaphragm, I mean, my poor diaphragm was like, Kristen, what are you doing? You know, You're working that core. So, <laughs> right. So I, many speech pathologists misinterpret when we talk about breathing. When we work on deep conscious breathing, we're talking about going inside of yourself uh -huh. to a place that nobody else knows, that nobody else can ever experience. We're talking about going inward to your confidence of who you really are. Mm -hmm. I, if, if a child is running out of breath talking, I might say, what do you feel in your body? How do you know that that's happening? And what might you do if it feels uncomfortable? Because that feels really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of kids that will exhale quietly and then start talking. And that is not good for you for a million physiological reasons. So I talk about it in terms of well-being. This is all connected. It's all connected. We can't talk about stuttering in an isolated way. Yeah, so I mean, I, I would say you, you can't start treating stuttering. You, you can't change how you talk until you change how you think. Well, think, remember right? that, remember, and this is again my, I guess my philosophy, do we really need to change anything or do we only need to make the choice to keep evolving? Mm. because that's different. Well, so, so let me, it's black and white. Let right? me ask you about this. So, yeah. so this, this uh, triangle, this, this awareness triangle that you, you spoke to um, in the webinar you did, which is awesome. I'll just give you a quick uh, plug. It's called mindfulness speaks. Um, and uh, I, I, I spent a while last week uh, taking a part and writing loads of notes about it. And I want to talk about this awareness triangle, thoughts, emotions, and physical body sensations, how, how you think affects how you feel uh, here. So this anxiety, let's, let's take this young person going up to order a Frappuccino and they have all these negative thoughts. I'm going to stutter. It's not going to go well. Um, what, what has helped me it, is that I vision success. Yeah. So, so I, I, I change and I have changed, but I, I know not everybody works that way, but visioning for me personally has been uh, significant. And because I, I always said, I, as a, as a young person, I vision stuttering all the time. You know, I walk into a room with a stuttering lens as Christopher Anderson I says, get that. Mm -hmm. right. I and I'm, yeah. I know it's not going to go well, but I change, I reframe the mindset, I, I develop confidence. Uh, I do it before I speak in front of large groups now. Yes. what What's your correlation to visioning and mm -hmm. mindfulness and this idea of, of thoughts? Okay. Um, I, I can, I feel I can relate to what you're talking about because in the second phase of my journey, when I was doing a lot of public speaking, um, I used a lot of visualization. I used visualization prior to the talk. I actually would go to the room and be there. I would visualize what I was wearing and how my body was going to be in it. Um, I, and that visualization changed over time. And I think the mindfulness helped that. I, I'm not answering your question. I apologize. No, no, you are. It's okay. It, yeah. And it applies to each person differently. It so does. I, I and wanna, so I don't want to like extend something beyond its meaning. But for me, it was so right. impactful. And visualization is impactful. And when anyone, any speaker is going into a situation, the more body awareness you develop, the more physical body awareness, the more you're able 
to remove yourself and go into that space. And it's being in the space of being grounded. I'm alert. I'm present. This is not about me. It's about the people and what they are ready to receive. The words are going to come and they may be stuttered. They may not. But once you get to that present moment awareness, there's this thing that happens. And I think for people who stutter, it's it's such a joy. You cannot put words to it, to be able to feel that flow as a communicator. It takes it, hard work to it, get it, there. It, you know, it's so interesting because it's it's probably part of my joy. I'm 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 lucky enough to be happy, like so happy. I think it's part of it. You know, it's never apologize. Because... <laughs> never apologize for emotion. Yeah. So the 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 ability to be yourself, yeah. right? It's huge. It's huge. The ability to be authentic as opposed to hiding. It's huge. How long was it before you could say, I think I'm being myself? Because I'm starting to say it and I just turned 60. But maybe at <laughs> well, about my fifties, I started saying it. You and I are the same age. Uh, I I think I was fifty before um, I could say I stutter and I'm happy because uh, um, I used to always say um, I can now speak more more fluently. I'm really happy, but I was hiding something. I was hiding my authentic self because I, I knew inside I still stuttered, but I knew I had. Uh, gotten better at controlling it. Um, so the authentic self is is what joy is. And remember that things can stand together. So I'm a big pro proponent of the word and over but. Yes, yes. So in other words, you said a few minutes ago, when you, you know you stuttered in the introduction, you were kind of we're thinking about what I was thinking about you and yeah. feeling worried and, and maybe disappointed about that. Yeah. And you state, you feel, you believe you are your authentic self. And yeah. that's called being real. You can be both of those things at the same time. You yeah. can be both. And yeah. it's still evolving. That's the yeah. whole point. <laughs> it is. It evolves. It's a journey. You know, you're on this journey of life. And um, so, uh, wow. So, so I did get, um, I did get emotional because uh, you and I both know that stuttering is such an emotional um, thing. And I want to say, yeah, I want to say something. And this is not. You know, I'm, I am in the process of learning more about trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. And I want to say that while thoughts can create feelings or can, you know, the thought can then be identified with a negative feeling. Remember, all feelings are okay. They're not right or wrong. They're, they just are. Our body also as the book, The Body Keeps the Score, talks about, holds trauma. And perhaps individuals who stutter have experienced many, many little T traumas. Little yeah, I'm, I'm completely yeah. fascinated with, with that topic, Kristen, yeah. completely fascinated. And we, again, we, it goes back to mindfulness. Can we develop awareness of our physical body where we're holding those emotions, those emotions are so, so big and they are so deep. So so how do we begin this with um, a child or at, at what age uh, can a young person even begin to fathom the deepness of what you're talking about? Oh, well, children are wonderful. Of course, the younger they are, the more they are already ah, in the moment. Got it. So we so, started too late. <laughs> it's never too late. And when we when we use mindfulness practice in therapy, we are doing that to 
expose a child and a parent or a family to this opportunity to come together. Everyone has a little quiet moment inside and then we start dinner and then we start talking. It's a way for people to honor the transition in. It's a way for children to be more available for a therapy session. So we work with children as young as three and we begin talking about the power of our breathing. So there are a lot of resources and materials and ways that we can help a young child even feel a deep breath. We use a lot of bubbles. If you blow a long, slow bubble, you understand a deep, lower abdominal diaphragmatic breath. So we expose them and over time, they begin doing things on their own. A lot of parents are focused now on social emotional development. They do things like they make calming corners at home and children are being exposed to these concepts, even in school. Children are being exposed to thinking about their bodies and the emotion they feel and how big it is. I'll tell you, children are changing. I had a child in here yesterday that's 12. And he looked at me and he said, I actually had two children, a nine-year-old and a 12-year-old. And they both said to me, I'm okay with stuttering at school. I'm accepted by my peers and stuttering is part of it. And I'm good there. And for a child to even say that out loud, that I feel comfortable talking about it, people accept it as part of me. Mm. We don't usually have children saying that. Children are changing. The, and they it, are. The, will they stay there? Because it, it gets tough well, in, it's in going, like eighth, yeah. ninth grade where we think there's about life, natural bullying. Right. Yeah. And it's sometimes I say it's called life. Things are either pleasant, they're neutral, or they're unpleasant. And we mm. all have all three. And when a parent says, I'm afraid my child is going to be bullied, I'm afraid my child is going to be cut off. My response usually is that's a normal fear. I think it's the number one fear of every parent. Mm -hmm. Number two, it may happen. The research shows us it often happens. And if it's not about stuttering, it's about something else. Mm -hmm. And number three, your child is and you are going to be equipped with ways of handling it. Life involves suffering. Right. Let's let's get used to that. And as and, Angela and Duckworth states it great in her book, Grit. Uh -huh. You know, and a lot of us who stutter have developed grit. And through oh. all these traumas, the grit is key. So get mm -hmm. accept the fact that life's going to be hard and don't expect it to be easy. And therefore, your mindfulness can be aware of your thoughts of when it's hard, and you don't have to overreact yeah. to those. You know, I, I didn't put this in the um, questioning for you, but uh, I use affirmations a lot yeah. to get to, yeah. and now, now we'll get into an area that we're not experts in, but, it, but, it's, but it's called neuroplasticity. Yeah. Um, and so uh, what, I've used that, you know, as I understand neuroplasticity, am I saying that right? Neuroplasticity. Yes, I believe yeah. so. <laughs> yeah, is uh, is the science over the last couple of decades that understands that uh, the, the brain is malleable and it's made up of neural pathways and um, behaviors that stem often from a trigger. And if you stutter, there are triggers that happen all day long. Mm -hmm. I can, so... I'm going to do this, therefore I'm going to, I'm going to stutter. It goes down this, yeah. this neural pathway. I found a lot of joy when I learned that, in fact, the brain is malleable and I can change how I think and change how I, I respond or not react as much. What's your experience with this, this concept? You know, um, I have been fascinated as part of, of mindful learning about mindfulness, um, learning from neuropsychologists and neuroscientists about the brain. I, I'm no way an expert on the brain. 
Do I believe, however, that the brain can change? You better believe it. Yeah. And no I, I want to say this, and I'm not, I'm not saying this from ego at all. I am living proof that our brain Ditto. Ditto. And Ditto. I'm not saying that we can talk ourselves out of something. It's hard work. And it's about embodying things. So at a point in mindfulness training, I was still in my mind trying to understand the concepts and, and what is this? And what happens when you go in and you try to focus on your breath? And I was, and we stay there for a long time. The longer you practice, the more you embody something that goes beyond the mind. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to share with you something because I feel like this was a little experiment I did. And I was, I grew up significantly afraid of heights. And I, even though, and here's this grit, this persistence and temperament, I would go skiing with the snowflake club. I was scared to death, but I kept doing it because I, I wanted to be a part of it, right? And so at our camp, at Camp Shoutout, we have a zip line. It's like a nice. 50, 50 foot staircase. It. I promised a camper I would do it. It took me seven years. <laughs> <laughs> and I, at that time, I was in my my mindfulness yoga meditation training program. So I was doing things weekly. I was doing things, you know, a few days a week with my trainer or my my yoga guru, whatever. So I did it. And I'll tell you, it was harrowing. I was sobbing. It took me 10 minutes to get my feet off the ledge. Then I sat down. Then I, and um, I, I did it. I jumped. I was, it was the most terrifying thing I'd ever done. I had to leave camp after that for like an hour to regroup from it. Mm. Well, here's the point. First of all, I was willing to sit in the emotion. Mm. I had done enough inner work that I was willing to let myself be uncomfortable. So let's go back to the coffee in the coffee shop. Mm -hmm. I was willing to look that person in the face and say, I would like a coffee and feel nothing. Mm -hmm. And I was willing to do that again and again and again and again. And that was part of my second part of my journey. Mm -hmm. Let me go back to the zip line. The next year, I very casually put the helmet on, walked up the stairs and stepped off that platform. Yeah. So I believe that we all have to have the right people in the wings to support us. Mm -hmm. And nobody gets to judge who those people should be. Mm -hmm. We know who those people are and they mm -hmm. change over time. There were times that I shook up the box and got some new influence in my life. Mm -hmm. So teaching young people, teaching young people how to be uncomfortable, that being un I, uncomfortable is, as I say many times, the only way out is through it. And experiencing stuttering, but ha and having a positive experience yeah. talking. That's, that's, that's what shout out does. Yeah. yeah so there, there lies like the real, the real jump over here. Um, experiencing stuttering and being okay with it versus the fear of stuttering and not being okay with anything. And so making that leap mm -hmm. is huge. Let's talk about the camp. Let's talk about the camp, camp yeah. shout out. Yeah. Cause um, yeah. you've invited me there. I'm, I'm going to, you know, don't ask me two times cause I'll be there. <laughs> I so want to go. Tell I already put you down. Put me down. Tell me about camp it. Camp shout out is something that, we we've been we just had our 13th year Tremendous. and it took about 10 years to get the schedule you know it, it's been evolving for years and camp shout out if i were to take it down to one sentence it's helping kids have positive experiences communicating whatever that mm. means whatever that means 
and talking to the children, understanding who they are differentially, each of them. What are the factors they're bringing to the table and what do they want? Some children want to work on their communication skills. And while I firmly believe we all have to keep educating society, we have to. Society takes a while to come around. Is it fair for us to not help children with their communication skills? if that's what they also want. Correct. And so some children say, I want to be here. I want to do all the physical things. I want to challenge myself. Some children say, I'm afraid to get up in front of people and talk and stutter. So that's what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And it's about creating these opportunities so they can experience talking into microphones in front of a hundred people with their small groups, with a one-on-one -on -one, and their bodies can feel something different. Wow. Those of us that are adults who grew wow. up stuttering, it takes a long time. It's a journey to keep disassociating these negative feelings. Yeah, I mean, I went to Boy Scout camp and yeah. uh, I did everything I could not to talk uh, because it wasn't gonna go well, because it wasn't a safe environment. So you created a safe environment. Yeah. yeah, I never went. Yeah. Right. I never. Right. Is is this camp shout out a multiple day event? Is it a sleepover? And it's a sleepover does, camp. It's yeah. a traditional recreational overnight summer camp. The adults, we accept speech pathologists and graduate students to come and do a training with us. I have about 11 people who specialize in stuttering on my leadership team. They come in mm -hmm. from all over the country. We work, we have small teams that work together and then we do, it's a regular camp and it's overnight. So for the adults, it's from a, a Saturday, a Friday night or Saturday to a Saturday. And from the kids, it's from a Sunday to a Saturday. Wow. In Michigan in August. Yeah. How do you go? I mean, the, does anybody have an opportunity or is it, is there? Well, you know, I I learned a lot during the pandemic and prior to the pandemic, I began learning about the social model of diversity. And I began learning about neurodiversity and about things like ableism. And I feel um, we used to run the camp where it was only professionals, many of them stutter themselves. And then the um, graduate students, we had volunteers and the kids. Now, I, I feel that it's so important each year to be inviting people, individuals from the stuttering community. We had mm -hmm. Tom Sharstein come this past year. He started mm -hmm. the World Stuttering Network um, because I want you to see, I want adults who stutter also to be able to see this is what we're doing. And um, what are your thoughts and feelings about this? And how are you um, looking at this in terms of how you grew up versus what has evolved over time? You know, we know in our profession, we are lacking in appropriate training for stuttering and how to help people who stutter. We know we're, we're lacking with speech pathologists that feel comfortable. Um, we have many, many now that feel, that think, and feel more comfortable. Um, however, I'm not necessarily sure if that's actually what's happening in the, mm -hmm. the therapy room. So, mm -hmm. but there are there are some really powerful good things that are happening for children. And I mean, this so is taking this is taking um, a speech therapist who is who is working on movements of breath and lips and various things versus where mindfulness is going is to a lot of psychology. And I, I often think that, that speech, uh, speech pathology for people who stutter uh, is more uh, psychological training needs than it is sort of mouth movement training needs. It's, it's, the, it's this triangle you talk about of thoughts, emotions, and body that we need to understand and address before we can start talking about um, 
easy onsets, which I, I don't want to take away from those, but we we cannot address stuttering therapy without addressing the thoughts and emotions that and come with I, it. Yes, and I believe that, for instance, uh, my colleague Vivian Siskin talks about avoidance reduction uh, coming from the work of Joseph Sheehan, and I that's so relevant and so critical. Hugo Gregory always said that because we are trained as speech language pathologists, we also must have counseling training. And, you know, we must have our own counseling. That's part of how we learn how to help others is by helping ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, stuttering is not a speech skill problem. It's not. Say that again, because <laughs> everybody needs parents need to hear well, this. Well, and I, I know, I mean, my <laughs> That's colleague, a big statement you just made. That's a big statement. You know, Scott Yaris has said that, and Dan Ratner, and so many of my esteemed colleagues. Um, stuttering is not a skill, a speech skill problem. It's Interesting. Not. I look at it as an integration mm. of our all of our brains and how they are wired and how mm. it is we are able to execute this movement at any given time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we know there are differences in the brain of children and of adults. And we know that many individuals who stutter continue to stutter. Mm -hmm. I definitely would not say that I'm 100% fluent. Nobody is in the universe. And I certainly have the struggles that have contributed to the stuttering. And I still have those struggles and I definitely could stutter and do. So, so what, so, you know, the, the springboard, it, um, like my, my passion around this, this topic is to um, prevent what almost happened to you, uh, which almost happened to me, which is not, not becoming what I'm meant to be because I stutter. So letting having having my fluency impact how I think, preventing me from taking risks and going into an area. Um, what what do you tell uh, what do you tell the person in ninth grade listening to this, Kristen, who hasn't experienced mindfulness, is experiencing maybe some bullying, is think is really in a in a a bad place. And, and maybe that was you, maybe it wasn't you, but what do you want to tell that person where, where to begin? And maybe they're seeing a speech therapist who doesn't get it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They just don't get it. Yeah. Well, I think that there are a lot of opportunities now for, let's say, high school kids, right? Like a ninth grader. Um, I think one of the things for a, a teenager to, to recognize is when they're at the point where they're thinking and feeling in a way that they're they are starting to become afraid of how you know how dark it's getting yeah it's so important to reach out to supportive adults who is on your team who is on your team whether it's a parent whether it's a coach whether it's a counselor at school a teacher who is on your team? Because the first step is saying, hey, I need some support here. Mm. Now, there are lots of routes of support. I can talk about the professional route as a speech pathologist. And my only comment to that would be, if you're going to work with a speech therapist, make sure in your gut that you say out loud, she gets it or he gets it. That's so otherwise important. you're wasting your time. You're playing a different game. You're playing the and wrong game. And there are ways of finding individuals who are board certified in fluency and fluency disorders, individuals who have an interest in stuttering that are doing a lot of the training and the work. Yeah. So you there are ways you can reach out even to Brian and Brian can get you connected to some of those resources that you can go to. Yeah. So don't go it alone. Don't, don't go it alone. No. So many of us who stutter no. went alone and we think it's, and it's, it's, no. it, it's dark in there. It's dark. It's already... Go it alone once you feel peace, you know, you know, go for like a long walk in the woods. Once, once your mindfulness is present and, 
And but when you're in a dark place, get talk to people. Get yeah, people. And there's a lot of things now that that even counselors are doing. I think that that the the therapeutic, the psychological part can be very well, you know, that can be very helpful. And it can be even more helpful when you combine it with a speech pathologist that specializes in stuttering, because there is an understanding that the psychologist does not have. And there are understandings that that the psychologist has that we don't necessarily have. I mean, some of us have gone on and done many different trainings and and learning about some of these things, but but that's not to say we have a degree in psychology. Mm. And again, what does a professional do? A professional who understands this disorder is going to care about you as a person right in front of me. Who is this person? What do they want? What are their experiences? How are all these things integrating and how can I help them move forward in their desired way? To make and them happy. Kids. Yeah, well, many To kids. make them happy. Yeah, to well, make them happy. Where's the joke? Yeah, mm -hmm. not necessarily happy because happy is an emotion mm. and emotions come and go to help them become and to help them be who they really are. That's so that video. can include happiness yeah. and also sadness. Well, maybe even peacefulness is a better word yeah. for me. Sure. You know, I it, peacefulness is being at peace. We're not not your mind isn't wrestling with itself, antagonizing itself, and the the intrusive thoughts, and you're actually feeling those thoughts as opposed to just observing them. Yeah. You know, like remember, that peacefulness. Yeah, remember, Brian, that and again, this is just my perception. You know, the Dalai Lama keeps meditating. Why? <laughs> well, because it's normal for the human being yes. to have these thoughts. Yeah. Even after all these years, of for some of them to zoom back in, for that doubt to come up, it is through the mindfulness that we develop the skills to say, hold on, make a little space here. I'm not that story anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We well, all have to keep evolving it. So I'm I'm taking you up to to the hour here. Let me let's end uh, with maybe you you giving us some uh, what what I'll call uh, conscious what you call conscious breathing or investigating oh. our breath. Maybe give some advice to people listening on what what is that and also transition breathing. Uh, and what is that? This is this is sort of a start in into the mindfulness practice. Yeah. So one of the ways I was taught, which was from the mother of a client I had who became a yoga mindfulness teacher, is that first we have to understand what a deep conscious breath feels like. And so we do a little bit of investigating. We could call it free breathing. And we just we just can set our phone for two minutes and just notice how our breath feels. So breath has an intelligence of its own. Our breath has a speed. It could be fast or slow. It has a depth. It could feel deep or very shallow. Mm -hmm. Our breath has a phrase of inhalation and a phrase of exhalation, and they could be equal, or one could be longer than the other. Our, brave, our breath has a texture. So the first step is just noticing how is how does your breath feel right now? It also has an epicenter. Do you feel it starting more up here? Do you feel it starting more by movement of the abdomen? So the first exercise of free breathing is what do you notice right now without judgment, without trying to change it? Your, our breath never lies. If you want mm -hmm. to know how you really are, notice your breathing. You know, I, I, I noticed that I feel a lot in my 
upper chest. Um, sure. But I'd probably rather feel it in my lower abdomen. Well, our, I, I, yeah. there are reasons. Yeah. There are reasons why we feel our breath more in our upper chest. And when our stress response in our brain is, uh, is activated. So, and right now you're doing a podcast, you're focusing, you're trying to get all your questions in, you're, you're talking, there's, could be a little bit of stress. It's there. emotional too. Like it's an emotional subject yes. for me. So I'm revisiting my past and yes. right. <laughs> so one of the first things that happens when that stress response starts to kick in, fight, flight, or freeze, is our breath becomes higher. Right. Does our breath need to be higher right now? No, no. you're not in any danger. So now, so free breathing, what, what am I doing with my breath right now? Then we go into what's called a transition breath, which is a breath technique. A transition breath is taking a breath in through the nose and then very slowly out the mouth with pursed lips. And you can even put one hand on your belly and see if you can start noticing on the inhale, a movement of the abdomen and then on the exhale, the abdomen moves towards the spine. So just keep trying that. A good deep breath. How can we be the most effective in what we're doing for the best efficiency of our breath? Is when our rib cage expands, which allows our diaphragm to move down and press upon the abdomen. The abdomen rises to create space for the lungs to expand. And then on the exhale, the abdomen is coming in as the diaphragm is lifting up so that exhalation can occur. You know what I feel? I, I feel like it silences the mind. It, it calms the mind. It completely yeah. calms the mind. And actually, it changes the whole awareness yeah. of situations. So the transition breath alters the nervous system. And I have read it takes about six seconds to do it. So when I'm sitting in that doctor's office or someone's waiting for that coffee line, are we breathing so we won't stutter? No, we never talk about that. We're maybe using transition breath as a grounding technique so we can be present, connect, and talk. Wow, Kristen, um, I, I am so grateful for your time with us here to, to go really deep into a topic that I think has been uh, not talked enough about in stuttering therapy. And I, I hope uh, everybody listening can um, begin to practice some of these techniques and um the best really, way yeah. yeah oh sorry go ahead no 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 please no the best thing for anyone it, you can read about it you can you can learn about it at the end of the day you have to do it and you begin with three minutes a day then you go to five then you go to ten mindfulness is then when you get that point to focus, as Christopher Willard says, you're gonna rest your attention. You're gonna recognize your mind has drifted. You're gonna refocus back on that anchor and you're gonna repeat it mm -hmm. until the ding goes off. And sometimes your mind is racing and you think, wow, this is so hard today. That's a judgment. And other times you say, wow, this felt easier today there's no such thing as a good or bad mindfulness the only bad one is the one you don't do thanks Kristen. i, I look forward to having you back um next august after uh i've had the chance to visit camp shout out and talk about the camp talk about what we learned together and um again uh, i'm grateful uh, for you being here thank you so much i look forward to seeing you again thank you Nolan Stuttering Foundations, or 
NSF's primary purpose is to bring young people who stutter together and help them become the best versions of themselves. We do this through programming design to help them share and navigate the unique communication and psychological challenge they experience. NSF helps prepare young people to take the next step in their lives, whether it's high school, college, or, or, or your, your career. For ideas and, and contributions to the podcast, contact us at info at nolansf.org.